This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome again to another Patriots Beat here on the CLNS Radio Network. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me as always is Bobby Kavitsky at Bobby underscore K91, also on Twitter. Follow the podcast at, at Patriots Beat. For you Facebook fans out there, www.facebook.com slash Patriots Beat. We'll be talking... A little bit of review of the Jets, a little bit of preview of Thursday Night Football against the wonderful Miami Dolphins. You just love those Dolphins down there. I don't just can't get up as crazy for the Dolphins as I can for, say, the Jets or, or the Bills with Rex Ryan. But it's still a division game. Looking forward to it. But you know what? I get woken up every morning. And I get waking up to my Harry's Blades. you got to check them out. Harry's.com unbelievable shave. I'm talking smooth as a baby's bottom. My wife absolutely loves it. You should go to harrys.com today and use my promo code PATRIOTS for $5 off your first purchase of the starter set with my coupon code PATRIOTS. After entering my code PATRIOTS at checkout, you can get Harry starter set for just $10 a month. That's a month's worth of shaving for just $10 with my code PATRIOTS. Harry's starter set is a month's worth of shaving and comes with a razor, three of Harry's high-quality blades. They're German-engineered, just like the beer that I like to drink. The Harry's blades made by Germany are unbelievably great. You get a bottle of shaving cream, all shipped straight to your door for free. Harry's.com delivers a superior shave for an incredible price. Harry's bought a razor company in Germany that has been crafting some of the world's highest-quality blades for years and years. Say goodbye to choosing between expensive brands or cheap disposals and say hello to Harry's high-quality blades at a price you'll love. Go to harrys.com right now. Enter the code PATRIOTS at checkout to get $5 off your first purchase. Get a month's worth of shaving for just $10 with the code PATRIOTS at checkout. That's harrys.com. Use my code word, PATRIOTS. And the Patriots just defeated the New York Jets. I love every minute of it. What do you think, Bobby Kravitzky? Yeah, let me tell you something. That game, just like you said on ESPN New Hampshire leading up to the game, it was going to be a slugfest. It was going to be tightly contested. It was going to be vintage, Pat's Jets. And even though it wasn't Rex Ryan roaming the sidelines, that Jets team, especially on defense, resembled what they looked like with Rex Ryan running the helm. And it made for a great game. It was a very good game. And you know what? Uh, we all look at Rex Ryan, and he's that, you know, boisterous guy that you just love to hate. And, you know, it really pumped up that, that Jets rivalry. Um, but I look at uh, Todd Bowles, the head coach of the New York Jets, and I have nothing but respect for that guy. Other than, you know, the fact that uh, he lost his mind a little bit at the end of the game by not calling timeouts, I thought he coached a very good game. Uh, had the Patriots guessing a little bit, and I have nothing but respect for Todd Bowles. I think the Jets, the New York Jets, I really think are building a very good team under Bowles. Yeah, I think Bowles was an excellent hire, and I know that some people argue that it's similar to when they had Rex Ryan because they've just brought in another defensive-minded coach, but Bowles is so different from Rex Ryan that he's just He's really his polar opposite, even though they're both known for 
the defensive side of the ball. That's their specialty. It's still a different type of coach. He's instilled a different personality into this Jets team. So I think the Jets have hired themselves a great coach in Todd Bowles, and it's going to be interesting to see how he builds this team moving forward because, look, the Jets, we've said it for a while, that they're a quarterback away, and we'll, we'll see what happens in the future there. And it's not like Ryan Fitzpatrick had a bad game either. I mean, not a great completion percentage, but 22 of 39 for 295 yards, two touchdowns. 97.7 rating, gave the New England Patriots pass defense, Bobby, a little bit of trouble, if you ask me. Yeah, a little bit of trouble is putting about as mildly as we can because, oh, baby, this pass defense looked atrocious. Just look at third down defense alone. It was That's the problem. Yeah, the Jets converted 8 of 14 third down attempts. And Malcolm Butler had by far his worst game of the season. Jeff Eric Decker had a team high six catches for 94 yards. And I'm honestly not sure what it was about Decker that was giving Butler problems. But to his testament, he did do a better job covering Decker in the second half, made some adjustments. And according to Mark Daniels of the Providence Journal, Fitzpatrick was just one of four for 23 yards in the second half when targeting Malcolm Butler. It was. That first half was a really, probably the worst half of football that Malcolm Butler has played in his career. And not to knock the uh, the Super Bowl hero here, he is still only, I mean, that was his seventh start in the NFL. There are going to be growing pains. I mean, you make one tremendous play just in the end of the Super Bowl, your name is flashed in the lights. I mean, I'm sitting here in the Boston Fat Guy man room, and I'm looking up, and I, and I see a, a Super Bowl... 49 Malcolm Jersey, Malcolm Butler Jersey hanging from the rafters. You know, I do that with, with certain things. This kid hit the prime time because of what he did. An unbelievable play. And he ha- isn't a great cornerback yet. And I don't think any, you know, knowledgeable person out there thought he was going to be a great cornerback this quick into his career, especially coming from a Division two school. But he's a good cornerback. He's still young. He's doing things well and they've been putting him in some tough matchups they they put him on uh Antonio Brown the first week he he won some he lost some you know they they put him on Eric Decker with absolutely no safety help at all in this last game and the fact that as you're right he only completed uh Fitzpatrick only completed one pass for 22 yards in the second half shows the different ability that he was able to do because when things started off, it was tough, but six catches, 94 yards, at least he kept him out of the end zone, and they were able to keep Brandon Marshall really quiet. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring up Brandon Marshall because I think, and this relates to Malcolm Butler as well, a trend that we've seen now the last two games against the Colts and the Jets and that we're going to see most of the time moving forward, maybe some unique matchups will call for the Patriots to go away from this, but I think what you're going to see a lot of is Malcolm Butler matched up against an opponent's number two wide receiver so that they can bracket the number one. That's what they did this week with Logan Ryan playing underneath Brandon Marshall, Devin McCourty playing over the top of him. And as a result, they minimized Brandon Marshall, who only had four catches for 67 yards. Jeff, he'd racked up over 100 yards receiving in each of the last four games heading into Sunday's contest. And I know that he dropped the touchdown, but... Nonetheless, the Patriots were able to minimize him, and that was a significant factor as to why they won this game. Yeah, you are 100% right. Uh, and and you mentioned my weekly uh, ESPN New Hampshire uh, talk uh, every uh, so, excuse me every Sunday morning at 12 uh, 12 p.m. So I guess it's afternoon. I'm on ESPN New Hampshire talking uh, with the boys from Dirty Water Sports about the Patriots, and I was a little concerned about this matchup. And they had talked about how uh, Malcolm Butler would line up against uh, Eric Decker. And and I was concerned about what Logan Ryan would be able to do against Brandon Marshall. Logan Ryan's actually quietly having himself a very solid season. Yes, Logan Ryan has rebounded nicely from a difficult season last year. And if you remember, Jeff, we had Matt Chatham on the podcast in the offseason, right around the time leading up to the NFL draft. And 
of course, at the time, all the talk was about Revis leaving in the cornerback position. Will they target one in the draft? How early will they target one? Might it be a first-round selection even? And he said, look, with Logan Ryan, obviously I'm paraphrasing here, he said, don't sleep on Logan Ryan because last year was basically a wash year for Logan Ryan. And his rookie season, five interceptions, showed a lot of promise. The Patriots were very high on his potential. And this is a role that I think suits him, you know, just playing underneath of number one receivers with help over the top in the form of Devin McCourty most often. And that's a role that he can handle and play really well. And another cornerback who deserves mention, Jeff, is Justin Coleman. I thought he had a very good game. He had a pass breakup in the end zone that nearly resulted in an interception. It bounced off of Rob Ninkovich's shoulder. And the Patriots have thrown Coleman right into the fire, and he's responded well. He's responded unbelievably. This is a kid that, uh, you know, they, they tried to claim off of, I believe it was uh, when he was released by the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Seattle got him, and they claimed him off of there. But this is a kid who's been really thrust into a position that I don't think anyone thought that, um, you know, he was going to be thrust into. This is you know, an undrafted rookie free agent coming in here and playing some big-time minutes, only 22 years old, and they've thrust him right in here. I mean, we you saw Bradley Fletcher, you know, get cut. He's injured. You saw uh, Terrell Brown uh, put on season end in IR. All of a sudden, Justin Coleman is, you know, right up there, and he's playing very well as, as far as I'm concerned. You know, and maybe we would be sitting here saying, that um, that uh, that Malcolm Butler was playing just as well, but he's he's not he's not because we got a, a, a you know a, a big spotlight on Malcolm Butler. Coleman is playing phenomenal because there's no spotlight on him. You know anything that happens bad, you're just thinking oh it's just Justin Coleman whatever you know he's a rookie out of Tennessee, but this kid has really come on strong his first couple games here in New England. Yeah, Coleman is playing very well. I also think you have to factor in different responsibilities, different roles. You know, Malcolm Butler is on the field more than Coleman. He's got typically a better receiver than Coleman's going up against. Coleman's really their number three cornerback. So that needs to be factored in as well. But yes, absolutely, the point stands that Justin Coleman has performed very well for them. And, Jeff, I'll be honest, everyone talks about this team need, needing to add another cornerback before the trade deadline. I know that they missed Terrell Brown, and that's obvious. But I do like the, the combination of these three young receivers. Patrick Chung has improved significantly in man coverage. You've got McCourty and Deron Harmon, another player who has stepped up for them. So I like the combination of guys they have that they can put into coverage I think they could be okay moving forward with this group the rest of the season and letting their young talent in the secondary develop and mesh with one another. Well, I agree with you there. It's got to develop. I wouldn't be upset if they added of course not. You know, a more veteran cornerback uh, just for that presence, just for that uh, you know way down there. They had Cortland Finnegan in uh, a couple weeks ago for a visit. I really don't see much here. He could be. They could have him on the trade market. They could have something set up there. But I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if they stay with these three guys. Um, the safeties are playing great. Uh, you know, as you said, uh, Devin McCourty, Patrick Chung, your starters out there. Dron Harmon has played great all year. Only got eight snaps this last uh, game, but that has a lot to do with the fact that the Patriots were in their base set more often than not. Uh, in order to stop the running game. Jeff, I appreciate you not calling me out for picking Deron Hartman as my defensive MVP <laughs> going into this game against the Jets. I thought that he would get his chances out on the field and they'd move McCourty around, but really wasn't the way it played out with such a dedicated effort to containing Chris Ivory. And we talked about the struggles that the Patriots passing defense had, especially on third down. Well, talk about night and day the Patriots defense on the first two downs did a great job they held Chris Ivory 41 yards on 17 carries this is a guy who rushed for 166 yards and followed it up with 146 yards 
in the previous two games, respectively. They held him to 2.4 yards per carry. Now, granted, Ivory clearly was not 100%, and that was obvious from the get-go. But minimizing him, minimizing Brandon Marshall had more to do with the Patriots' run defense and with scheme in in regards to Brandon Marshall than it did Chris Ivory's injury. Oh, huge, absolutely huge in the way that they were able to stop Chris Ivory. And not only stopping Chris Ivory, but also Zach Stacy, uh, seven carries for 19 yards. In fact, uh, you know, he only carried for 2.7 yards per carry. They did a phenomenal job on stopping Chris Ivory and Zach Stacy and making Ryan Fitzpatrick beat them. They got the victory, 30-23. to 23. That's what's great. One of the huge things for the Patriots was the fact that they got Donta Hightower back to team up with Jamie Collins. Uh, Hightower, 10 total tackles, and Jamie Collins, who was my defensive player of the game, if you remember, hey. 12 total tackles. Pat on and the shoulder sack. for the Boston fat guy. Well, you know, once we get to offense, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, my player <laughs> of the game. But uh, very nice to see these two, these two guys have really stepped up as, as linebackers and played great. I don't think, I mean, Donta Hightower, the difference in having him in at middle line or in at linebacker and having a guy like uh, Jonathan Freeney or Gerard Mayo, who only actually played one snap, which is crazy. Uh, it's just Hightower just brings a physical edge. He's a phenomenal run stopper. Another thing I'd like to talk about is the fact that rookie Malcolm Brown uh, stepped in and played a hell of a lot more snaps than Silva Salinga. Yeah. I'm, that's interesting that you bring up both of those defensive tackles because on the one hand, Malcolm Brown gets better and better every week and it showed up once again on Sunday against the Jets. He was phenomenal. And there were a couple of plays where what really stood out to me about Malcolm Brown was his ability to make the tackle where he had to cover some ground to get over there you know, it wasn't just coming in or near his gap. He he had to move, and he was able to do so effectively and stop Chris Ivory or Zach Stacy close to, if not behind the line of scrimmage. So he's really impressed me as he continues to grow. And then on the other hand, you have Silver Saliga, who appears to be degressing, and it's, yeah, it's disappointing really because there were high expectations for him to step up this season, but... He, he, right now at least, is taking a step backwards. We talked about it the other day uh, on the last Patriots Beat podcast about how Frank Gore was able to, to get up and get to that second level, and Salinga just didn't seem to be able to get off his block. He was a step late in this and that, and seeing Malcolm Brown, he's you know a rookie uh, here who's just coming into his own. He's got a lot to learn. Uh, and all the different techniques that they make the defensive tackles play here in New England. But he's really done very well at learning how to use the leverage of his body, uh, do some phenomenal things that way. And Alan Branch really stepped up. I mean, this is a guy who played extremely well. When his motor's going, uh, he's just a big load and hard hard to get by in the running game. Yeah, you said it. When Alan Branch is motivated and his mind is right, he is really difficult to contain, and he's arguably been the Patriots' best defensive tackle this season, especially when you exclusively factor against the run, because Dominic Easley has done a great job, and that was evident again against the Jets, where he had three pressures, all of them were hurries, and he's just so explosive off the line of scrimmage, and he even continues to tell reporters that he doesn't feel like he's all the way back to 100% yet, but that he's getting close. So if that jump, if that explosion off the ball can improve, then I can't wait to see what that looks like because it's already pretty freakish. And, Jeff, you talked about Hightower and Collins, and I just want to go back to them for a second because of how well they've been playing and how well they played this past Sunday, where, again, to cite a stat from Mark Daniels, Hightower and or Jamie Collins combined to stop Chris Ivory on 12 of his 17 carries and held him to an average of just 2.25 yards per carry on those attempts. That is insanely good and shows what a dynamic and potent duo that this tandem has become over the last year and a half almost now. And Hightower doesn't just get it done communicating, putting everyone in the right position. 
doesn't just get it done stopping the run or when he drops back into coverage where a lot of times, you know, he's spying the quarterback. But on top of that, listen to this, 15 snaps as a pass rusher, eight pressures on those attempts, two of them quarterback hits. And Jeff, I don't know if you saw this, but I noticed it live and Doug Kynesson.com pointed it out in his film review. He absolutely dropped Nick Mangold in the second quarter. He pancaked him, and it set Jamie Collins up for his sack. He also recovered the fumble that Chandler Jones forced on the Jets' opening drive of the game. Dante Hightower has been a monster in the middle for this Patriots defense in every single facet. Uh, you uh, can't, uh, I can't agree with you any more than I, than I can. You know, I mean, Dante Hightower is the linchpin that keeps this defense going. They're just a different defense when he is on the field. You brought up Chandler Jones. He and Rob Nikovich both played very good, good games. Uh, Jones, of course, getting that sack, uh, strip sack fumble uh, that uh, Hightower picked up. Nikovich, I mean, doesn't really show up huge on the stat sheet with only two tackles, but did a nice job of... uh, you know, containing the run and got his big mitts up on at least three or four passes. Yeah, he had four balls knocked down. Would have been an even bigger game for him if he could have corralled that interception in the end zone that Justin Coleman made a nice play to deflect the pass and it ricocheted off his shoulder pad. But Nink, you know, there were some things that he didn't do so well, but overall, this was arguably his best game of the season because how effective he was just being disruptive at the line of scrimmage like you just said, knocking down balls, which you know, the, what I, I had him for four passes deflected. So I thought he had a very disruptive game. And look, we've talked about how he has not been vintage Rob Ninkovich up till this point in the season. Maybe it's was just yes, as last week. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's just as simple as he doesn't like the rotation of him, Jones, and Jabal Sheard, and that he prefers you know he gets going off staying out there on the field. He he might actually just like being that Iron Man and is better suited for that. Some guys, they feed off that, and maybe that's the deal with him. But when they do get Jabal Sheard back, which is probably coming after the Miami game, when that happens... He's been ruled out already for Miami. Right, so when he comes back into the mix, Nink is going to have to find a way, and obviously it's safe to assume that he's working on this. He's going to have to find a way to adjust to being able to thrive while not having as many reps. Yeah, well, let's swap up a little bit here now before we get talking about the the Dolphins. Let's swap up a little bit to the the Patriots and what they did on offense here as they uh, are victorious, thirty to twenty three over the New York Jets. Bobby, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I hated the game plan. I absolutely hated the game plan. It worked, but I hated it. I absolutely hated it. If you don't have Tom Brady, and we do, and he is playing at an otherworldly level right now. I don't think I've seen Tom Brady play even in 2007. I've never seen a player put a team on his back and will them to victory the way that Tom Brady did uh, on Sunday against the Jets. 34-54 for 355 yards, two touchdowns, was the leading rusher for attempts for 15 yards. The Patriots pretty much just sat there, and Josh McDaniels just sat there and said, uh, this rushing defense is too hard to, to go up against. Uh, you know, I'm just going to sit there and pass it. It could have ended worse than it did. Uh, you know, they put up 30 points, but they were so one-dimensional. So, I mean, so absolutely one-dimensional. I hated everything about it, and I don't mean to be Debbie Downer. They did come out victorious, but uh, when the weather gets cold and, you know, you have to get physical and run the ball – like they have in the past, uh, I don't know if this team's going to be ready. And, and I'm wondering if it's a fatal flaw in this team that they just put it all on Tom Brady's shoulders. Look, Jeff, different seasons, different things might happen. But you know, last year, I can't help but go back to that postseason game in the divisional round against Baltimore where they don't run the ball once in the second half, and that turned out okay. Because Yeah, I agree. Because but... the reality is that a lot of their short passes are in effect, you know, they're, they're just as good as runs and they keep the Patriots on schedule. They keep them in second and manageable situations and then third and short third and less than seven. And most of the time that works out. And quite frankly, I'm going to trust Tom Brady more than I'm going to trust LeGarrette Blount. 
and you know, in regards to Sunday, way more than I trust James White. So I I do agree with you. There were McDaniel's didn't have the best game, but overall I understood it. And as much as there were times where I wish they would have ran the ball, especially because of the fact that it sets up their play action. You know, overall I understood the thinking of just going into the game and punting on the notion of running the football, especially, you know, maybe you don't do that if you have a different quarterback under center, but the luxury of having Tom Brady is that you can go into games where you know you're not going to be able to run the ball effectively and say, we're not going to run it just so that on the stat sheet, those numbers are balanced and we're not going to run it for the sake of running it when it's not going to be effective nine times out of 10. Instead, we're going to scheme it up so that even though we're passing, we're going to put Tom in a high percentage situations where he's most likely going to complete it and move the chains for us and set us up for manageable situations to ultimately make getting a first down as easy as possible. Because quite frankly, going into Sunday's game, you knew that wasn't going to come running the football. I I understand, Bobby. I just... I. I shake my head at it because I, I look back at the game against the Buffalo Bills where they had two fourth and ones, and instead of you know imposing their will on the Buffalo Bills and handing the ball off and getting first downs and ending the game, they have two fourth and ones where they throw it long. Late in the game, they have a strip sack that's brought back, and they score a touchdown, and it's 19 points for the Bills. This is a team, if you're going up against a team in the playoffs, and it's third and one. You can't just sit there and throw the ball. And looking back to two weeks ago against the Colts, you know, on third and one, instead of lining it up with a Garrett Blount and slamming it into their face, they're doing that little jet sweep with Julian Edelman, and the Colts are sitting there waiting for him. If it isn't for an unworldly play by by uh, Julian Edelman to spin around, you know, hit the circle button on his PS4 and and, and get into the for a first down, they're stopped and they're punting. And I, I know that the game plan worked. I just I worry about it, especially when you get down to the end zone, and you have you know first and goal from the three yard line. You hand the ball on a sweep to James White, who I like James White. I think he's going to be a good player in this league. He's not as great as Deion Lewis is, and I understand with Lewis not being able to make the team that maybe it changes the game plan a lot. There has been stuff that come out that they were up two hours before the. The uh, the game, they installed that uh, four wide receiver with one tight end set. But, you know, then you go back-to-back passes to, to Rob Gronkowski, a fade, and then a, a little in-cut, and you're using Tom Brady to dive over the middle for a touchdown. Give it to LeGarrette Blount, slam it down someone's throat, and say, hey, we're here, we're physical, we're going to win. And, you know, at times last year, of course, you brought up the, the Patriots against Baltimore. Listen, they were down 14 points twice in the second half and had to throw the ball and but in the Super Bowl they were balanced until they got down 24 to 14 and then it was the Tom Brady show we all know what they did against the pussies known as uh, the Indianapolis Colts but you gotta show some kind of dominance right there ask Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks about throwing the ball at the one yard line yeah Jeff I'm right there with you that there's situations including the goal line that I would like to see them run the ball more, especially pertaining to this past Sunday. The third and two, where Brady got sacked, I hated that play call. I thought they should have handed the ball off there. So there's instances, there's situations where I'm right there with you. But at the same time, I understand it, especially, look, we talked about the goal line. Handing off to James White, to me, actually made a lot of sense, and he should have scored on that play. He should, going up couldn't against, get to the corner quick enough. Yeah, you know, and that's the disappointment in James White, where here he is going up against the Jets' defensive line that's known for power, not speed. You give it to him, figure, you know, he'll take it out to the edge, and he should be able to punch it in, and he gives a nice stiff arm, but that lack of speed was so evident. He also had a dropped ball that seemed to set the Patriots back in the first half. And so, you know, I thought it was a disappointing game for him. I'm not making any assessment about what the future holds for James White. I just thought that lack of speed, especially that situation right there, that instance of not being able to punch it in on what seemed like a golden opportunity was a bit concerning. But, yeah, I mean, look, 
you know, against the Bills. You talked about that. And again, I'm right there with you. I thought that, you know, we all know what happened against Buffalo. The Patriots wanted to run up the score on Rex Ryan and it nearly cost them. And they're lucky that it didn't because it went from being a blowout to a game that, you know, it took a really, really nice interception at the end of the game to put that one away because the Patriots got too cute and they were so focused on the revenge tour that it nearly burned them. And from that point, I think that that was, you know, they got the message and said, okay, let's just take care of business from here on out. You know, I think that they tried to run the ball to ice Indianapolis and just didn't execute. So I don't think that was the play calling as much as it was the execution, but yeah, just to, uh, to circle it back to the original point here and to talk about your, your takeaway, I'd like to see them run the ball more when the time is right. But if the numbers moving forward, especially in matchups against stout defensive lines, we're going to get to Miami in just a second. I have no problem with them running the ball a little bit more, but again, not seeing the scales tip that drastically, you know, coming into Thursday's game. No, exactly. And and not to be Debbie Downer on the entire, uh, you know, offensive game plan, because obviously it worked. I mean, Rob Gronkowski was a beast as he always is. 11 catches, 108 yards, and that touchdown that absolutely sealed it. Danny Amendola, I picked him as my player of the game on offense last week. He, he came through. 15 catches now. Oh, yeah. Thank you, sir. 15 catches now. In the last two games, he's playing extremely well. And on a day where there were a lot of drops, he, I mean, the kid had stick him on his hands. That catch uh, for the touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown, was absolutely beautiful. And then climbing the proverbial ladder on a high throw by Tom Brady to corral a pass to keep a drive going, unbelievable. And you can't say anything but great things about Julian Edelman didn't have his most productive game, and, and I think a lot of us kind of figured that would be the case, especially with Darrell Revis uh, going up against him. Still caught five uh, passes for 54 yards, and on a very crucial third and 17, almost the exact same as against the uh, Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, he gets open for a 27-yard play at, that just sets the tone and makes the Patriots continue to move. They're down 20-16 to 16 at that play, and that leads to that Danny Amendola touchdown. So high fives all around for Gronkowski, Amendola, and Edelman. Um, you know, they were unbelievable. little disappointed for Brandon LaFell. Uh, man, he seemed like he, he, he dropped everything. Uh, and that's unfortunate because you could see with having LaFell out there um, what a difference it makes. It widened that passing lanes up so much more. Oh, absolutely. And, look, there was the obvious fact that LaFell hadn't had much of a chance to catch balls from Tom Brady just started practicing during the during the week and so you could see how that impacted him and the fact that he had so many drops the other reality is that these were not all easy catches now they were most of them if not all of them were catchable balls that he should have been able to make a play on but they were by no means easy and quite honestly what I took away more than the drops was what a great job LaFell did running his routes, beating his man, and finding ways to get open. So that's a good sign and seems something that will continue much more and hopefully more than the drops will moving forward. And you know maybe the rust is shaken off as early as Thursday against Miami. Jeff, I also wanted to just mention that Tom Brady in this game – going up against the Jets defensive line that is known for its power and not its speed allowed him to allowed him to take more time to drop back further in the pocket and as a result he takes six shots of over 15 yards down the field completes four of them and that's not just a testament to Brady it's a testament to his offensive line we didn't know what we were going to get in this game with Jack Mason being out that's just you know, an even further depleted offensive line. But they did a great job, and it's going to be interesting to see what the picture looks like moving forward against Miami. I've got a feeling right now, Jeff, that you're going to tell us about the fantasy outlook for Thursday against the Dolphins and for the NFL as a whole this week. 
Uh, you know I love myself some fantasy, and of course I use DraftKings and DraftKings.com, the uh, the greatest uh, one-day fantasy football site. And there's still plenty of football to be played this season, but it already feels like the playoffs at DraftKings.com is where millionaires are being crowned all season long. DraftKings is fantasy football on demand. Play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. That's the beauty of the one-week fantasy at DraftKings. Challenge friends in custom leagues or join an existing one to play for your share of the million dollars in prizes being paid out each week. With so much money up for grabs, every game is the big game and every play matters. Renew old rivalries or create new ones by playing head-to-head with friends, co-workers, and fantasy players from across the nation. Just pick your contest, draft your players, and collect your winnings. That's it. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is just DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. And hurry to DraftKings.com right now and turn your love of football into a life-changing playday. Payday. Use my promo code New England and play for free with your first deposit in Sunday's million-dollar fantasy football contest. First place takes home a cool hundred grand. Enter New England for free entry now. Only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. And as we talk a little bit about DraftKings there, uh, ourselves and our good friends over at Pat's Gazette, check out their website. Uh, of course, uh, www.GoalLineGazette.com. We run a DraftKings league each week. 25 players getting in there. Get in your entry. Go up against us. Go up against the boys over there at Goal Line Gazette and see if you can win the big money. Well, it's not huge money, but it's 75 bucks to the winner. Hey, who can't use 75 bucks? That's that's your beer tab on uh, on Sunday afternoon. No such thing as too much money. No, I'd like that hundred grand. I can't. I gotta figure it out. Hey man, you just gotta hit the war room, watch the film, and get ready to prepare yourself, Jeff. As we start to transition now from talking about the Jets game to previewing. The Dolphins game on Thursday. How about this stat? According to Doug Kide of Nethin.com, since Bill Belichick took over as head coach of the Patriots in 2000, New England has a 685 winning percentage in night games. And for context, that's <laughs> the second best winning percentage in that time span behind only Seattle. Unreal. That's unbelievable. And I gotta admit, I gotta say this, and I and I don't have the stats in front of me. I don't have Doug Kide's stuff in front of me, but I'm going to assume that the Patriots have played more primetime games than Seattle. I would certainly think so. It would, it would make sense given that Seattle's success is much more recent and that new England's has been sustained. Don't forget Mike Holmes. (laughs) Yeah. I don't forget Matt Hasselbeck guaranteeing that they're going to get the ball and score and then throw in a pick six. I remember. (laughs) Oh yeah. I bet you do. I bet you do. But yeah, I mean, unbelievable stat right there. And, Tom Brady, and I don't want to jinx it here, but Tom Brady's the perfect 8-0 and on Thursday night football games. Yeah, that's another incredible stat. Knock on wood. Hopefully that improves to 9-0 and in what's a big division game. You know, Miami, and we're going to talk more in depth about their situation now, but they have looked very impressive the last two games. They, they beat up on the Titans in Tennessee and then beat up on the Texans at home. And, of course, opponents a significant factor it is every week no matter what the outcome is no matter who the two teams playing are but the reality is that Miami has a lot of talent on their roster that was not the reason that they were struggling under Joe Philbin and you bring in a guy like Dan Campbell who's high energy who had a successful career in the NFL so the guys might take his word a little more to heart than Philbin's and I'm only speculating there I can't say definitively, but you can just see that he has pumped new blood into a Dolphins team that has a lot of talent. And yeah, the opponents haven't been great, but they're showing their potential now these last two weeks under Dan Campbell. Oh, they definitely are. They've gotten a a recommitment here to the running game and Lamar Miller and what he's been able to do. Uh, And yeah, maybe going up against, uh, you know, the sisters of the poor there in the AFC South, uh, and the Patriots get uh, get both of those, the Texans and the Titans, uh, still to come, so we can beat up on them a little bit. But the last two games, Lamar Miller, 19 carries against Tennessee for 113 yards. Uh, you know, unbelievable there, 5.9 yards per carry and a touchdown. 
against Houston, she tore the cover off the ball. 14 carries, 175 yards, 85-yard TD. Too bad I didn't have him in DraftKings last week. But you know what? With the way that the Patriots have been able to attack the opposition's number one threat, uh, I'm wondering this week what it's going to be. Because under Dan Campbell, it seems like they've gotten to let's try to become a little better running the ball, setting up the running game, especially in these last two games, his first two as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And it's really stepped up and been some great things for him as Lamar Miller has done a great thing. And old friend Jonas Gray is also going to be running the ball on Thursday night. He's uh, He's got 29 carries for 121 yards on That's the season. That's right. It'll be good to see old friend Jonas Gray. And like you said, I wonder if Sam Pericola will sit there with his little Jonas Gray jersey on going, come on, Jonas. He might be rooting for him. You know, one of those where he wants Gray to do well and Miami to lose. Might have one of those situations from Sam on Thursday. And, yeah. He loves him he so does. Gray. I'm, I'm a Jonas Gray supporter as well. Not quite as big as Sam, though. And, look, the reality. You guys will be all up 50 shades of gray on this yeah, guy, right? Well done, Boston fat guy with the word play. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, the the running game has become more of a factor under Dan Campbell. What he's also done is he's made life easier for Ryan Tannehill. A lot of his completions, look, he was 18 of 19 last week, and a lot of that had to do with him. 18 in a row to start. A lot of that had to do with him making decisions easier on Tannehill. It was a lot of short completions, and – that's smart. I don't mean that disparagingly. It's what they should be doing, how they should be managing the quarterback who they paid franchise-type money. And so you can see the difference now because they're asking less of Tannehill, and he's producing more. Oh, you're 100% right. If you ask less, you produce more, especially with Ryan Tannehill. Listen, Tannehill is probably the second-best quarterback in the AFC East. There's a long jump between him and Tom Brady. This is a guy who can throw it. I heard him on uh, Sirius NFL Radio, uh, some sound bites earlier in the week, how he's had to uh, you know, change things up uh, with what he's been able to do and, and, and not looking as far down the field as he is on those short and intermediate routes. And if you looked at this past week against the Texans, they had – Four touchdowns of more than 50 yards. The Patriots have only given up two over 25 this season. Uh, yeah, this and we know how much Bill Belichick puts an emphasis on taking away the long ball and on trying to just minimize home run plays. And so I know that not all of these were on long bombs, as we just talked about Tannehill throwing a lot of short passes. They weren't. But, they were all short passes yep, broken out. But the reality is that Bill Belichick places an emphasis on taking away those home run type of plays. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he schemes and adapts for a team that's hit most of their home runs off short yardage situations, not by throwing over the top and, you know, saying, okay, we're going to stick Devin McCourty or Deron Harmon in center field. And that's going to take away that because this is a team that comes at you from an entirely different approach. I'm interested to see how the Patriots scheme up for this. I'm very interested to see how the Patriots scheme up and what they decide to take away. Do they decide to take away uh, Lamar Miller or do they decide to take away that short passing game and say, all right, Ryan Tannehill, beat us long. And where do you see, um, you know, who's who's Malcolm Butler going to line up against? Are they going to go with zone? Are they going to put Malcolm Butler up against uh, Jarvis Landry, who's leading the team in receptions right now with 36 or is it Rashad Matthews, that number two wide receiver? Both these players can play. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you saw Malcolm Butler lining up against Landry instead of Matthews, only because I believe the size matchup matches a little more better here for uh, for Butler and Landry. And with Landry being that guy who gets the quick hits and this and that, I think if Butler can get on him with his hands, he's done a really nice job this year, of bumping people at the line of scrimmage, that that might be the best play for yeah, the Patriots. Yeah, and Jeff, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if that's what we see. Butler matched up with Landry. But I also think what they like to do is they they feel confident, and it's shown the last two weeks in 
how they've schemed things up. And even with Butler getting beat by Eric Decker so badly, really in the first half, but even with that, what we've seen is that the Patriots feel confident that they can put Butler one-on-one with with an opponent's number two receiver and then take Logan Ryan and double-team an opponent's number one receiver and take them both out of that out of the game that way. It didn't work so well against the Jets and Eric Decker, but it did against the Colts where Butler was very effective against Dante Moncrief. So I think the trend continues on Thursday against Miami that we're going to see Butler on Matthews. We're going to see Landry double-teamed with Logan Ryan playing underneath him. And when Kenny Stills comes into the game, and this is a guy who wasn't targeted once last week in that blowout victory, but still... You've got to respect the long ball. He's someone who they're probably going to send just to keep the defense honest and send him on a couple go routes. But I think Justin Coleman is going to be the one who draws Kenny Stills or whoever the third wide receiver is, whether it's Greg Jennings or if they bring anyone else onto the field. And, you know, you talk about how well Lamar Miller's played. I still think you're going to see a lot of three receiver sets from Miami, which of course the Patriots will counter with three cornerbacks. But when, when they go big or when the Patriots make a more concerted effort to stop the run, that's when you'll see more and more of Patrick Chung. Uh, exactly. And here's the one thing. Last week we talked about it on the program that uh, the Jets' offensive line has been very good this year in protecting Ryan Fitzpatrick, only allowing two sacks all year. Uh, the Patriots got after Fitzpatrick last week for two sacks, one by Collins and one by Jones. This week you're going up against – a guy in Ryan Tannehill in six games has been sacked 16 times. This might be a, part, uh, a spot where you, as you would say, the Patriots might spin the dial a little bit and get after Ryan Tannehill and make him make the quick decision and beat them that way. Uh, last week against the Houston Te- Texans, uh, sacked four times in that big win. Uh, against Tennessee, uh, the se- first game for Dan Campbell, sacked twice. He's been sacked multiple times in each and every game this year. I expect the Patriots and their linebackers and defensive line to get after Ryan Tannehill. Absolutely. This is Tannehill's taken a lot of hits this season. That's largely because this is not a great interior of Miami's offensive line. They have Pouncey at center, but their two guards are nothing special. And we already talked earlier about how good Dante Hightower and Jamie Collins have been as pass rushers, this is a game where those two can come through the A gaps so they can run games and, you know, come through the B gaps and really be very effective. They can get their shots in on Tannehill, and that's definitely going to affect the timing and the accuracy of a quarterback who likes to, who likes to execute these quick passes, and it also might just force some turnovers. Yeah, that's the hope. You get some turnovers, you get yourself a short field, and you get after it. That's what I like. I like turnovers, and I like getting after it. It's one thing that the Patriots throughout the years have always been good at is forcing turnovers. This year, middle of the pack in forcing turnovers, of course, their plus-minus is great because Brady's only thrown uh, you know, one interception all season long. I look at uh, the Patriots and their offense, and I wonder how they will attack this Miami defense who's a little bit suspect. They're not great. They've played better the last two weeks, but they're 30th against the run, allowing 129 yards per game, Uh, 15th in points at 22.8. I think the Patriots will score that in the first half. That's just my my thoughts there. And, you know, right in the middle of the pack and the passing down. So I'm looking, if Deion Lewis is healthy coming to this game, and he's going to be a game-time decision on Thursday night for uh, for the Patriots, if he's healthy, this is a game where he could absolutely dominate. Jeff, I hope that this prediction falls more under some of the more accurate predictions that I've made and not under the same category that Deron Harmon, defensive MVP against the Jets, wound up in. But I think Tom Brady <laughs> is going to carve up this Dolphins defense. Miami has a, grunt, a great front four. No one's denying that, and it includes – and Dominican Sue and Cameron Wake together on the left side, where, let's be honest, that represents a combination of power and speed at a level the Patriots offensive line has not faced yet this season. This is a different kind of test 
on that side of the Patriots' offensive line. But the reality is that they're going to give Fleming help against Sue, and they're going to look to get the ball out quickly. And I just think that beyond this front four, and not including Brent Grimes, Miami does not have much talent here on the defensive side of the football. It's not a defense that's equipped to cover Gronk, Deion Lewis, Brandon LaFell, who hopefully he holds on to the ball this week, or Danny Amendola. So I expect the Patriots offense to have no trouble moving the football and putting up points in this game. Couldn't agree with you more. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, getting ready for the Patriots to play the Miami Dolphins on Thursday night football at Gillette Stadium, hey, why don't you go to the game? Yeah, I know you sit there, hey, the Patriots have been sold out every single game since 1994. Get on your smartphone, whether it's an Android or an iPhone, and go to your App Store, your Google Play, or whatever it is on Android, as I'm an iPhone user. Hop on there and download the SeatGeek app. Uh, SeatGeek app. Say that five times fast. My listeners can use my promo code PATRIOTS in the SeatGeek app and get $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It will take less than a minute to download the app. Why don't you go and download this app? Go see the Patriots. Play the Dolphins. It's going to be great. And then you say, Jeff, why am I going to use SeatGeek? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Are you always online looking for the best deal? The first thing SeatGeek does for you, it pulls all the ticket options from hundreds of online sites. So you're not just sitting there going, all right, well, this one I can get it for $89, and this one's $99, but there's this fee here. Listen, they bring everything in there for you. When you shop at SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available for that game all on one page. Also, they have this great feature called the Deal Score. you got to try out this feature. It's awesome because it's going to basically give you 0 to 100 it's going to tell you the value of the score, plus the best deals on a color-coded interactive map so you can easily identify the best ticket values in the building at a glance. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket-buying process seamless and easy. No more trying to figure out if that's a 9 or a G and those little squiggly letters you can't read in that little box. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card. Once you find your tickets that you want to buy, you can complete the purchase with just two quick taps. There's no faster way to buy tickets. To redeem your promo code and save $20, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter the promo code PATRIOTS in the app. SeatGeek will send you a $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Every ticket purchased on SeatGeek is backed by a 100% guarantee. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PATRIOTS today and go cheer on the New England Patriots as they take on the Miami Dolphins. I can't wait for this game. Thursday night football I'm not going to lie, Bobby. I hate Thursday night football. I really hate Thursday night football, especially because then my entire Sunday is ruined uh, because the wife makes me do stuff around the house instead of sitting on my butt. But uh, you know what? It's Thursday night football. It should be a round, ruckus crowd. The only Thursday night game I like is when you're raising yeah, a banner. Yeah, amen to that. More, more Thursday night games like the one that the Patriots had against Pittsburgh to open the season and less of these games because – Let's be honest, we've got a quote here from Matthew Slater on Thursday Night Games and what he thinks of them. He says, quote, you talk about player safety and health, and it's hard for us to understand how that is catering toward our players' safety and health. And Jeff, he is absolutely right. We've heard Richard Sherman complain about Thursday Night Games as well, and the reality is that these games are a money grab. The product has not been good. It's not safe for the players to play two games in five days because the reality is though that these games aren't going away and there's too much money involved what my solution would be is to give both teams a bye week leading up to thursday night games wait wait bobby bobby are you trying to tell me that roger goodell is only out for the money and not he would never do that this is a man of the utmost integrity No, this isn't a man who would turn around and try to get an 18-game season put in there or, or expand the playoffs. No, I it? think you must have him confused with someone no. else. No, I, I, this guy is full of integrity. He likes integrity of the yeah, game, you know, doesn't we he? Yeah, hear that out of his mouth every time that he makes a mistake. Hey, Roger, integrity of my ass. Go blow. Well me. said from the Boston fat guy right there. <laughs> that's how we feel about. That's how. Yeah, that's sponsors. how we feel about Rog. 
that's how we feel about Thursday night football. Although Pats are playing, you've got our full attention, NFL. You do. Unfortunately, it is the money grab machine. There's nothing better than the NFL. So, Bobby, as we always do about this time in the podcast, let's break it on down. Let's talk about this uh, this game. Let's talk about uh, what the, we think the final score would be. Our offense is defensive player of the game. I think uh, Mr. Jeff Kane, the at Boston Fat guy on the Twitter, he uh, he's not too bad right there. He knows what he's doing when he goes to this. So I'm going to let you pick your score because I did it first last week. Then I'll give you what's in the fat head. And uh, and let you know exactly um, who I think is going to be, you know, perfect for. Can't uh, wait for this to get team. your predictions, big fella. But it is my turn to lead off. So starting with just the score, like I said, I think Brady and the Patriots offense is going to carve up this Dolphins defense. I think they're going to put up 41 points and hold Miami's offense, which has looked so good the last two weeks. I think the Patriots defense steps up on short rest and holds them to, I'm going to say, 17 points. So what's 41 that final to 17. Maybe it ends up being 24, but I, I'm willing That's to stick with that patsgasm right there, 41-17, because 41-24 yeah. is not quite a patsgasm. It's close, but I want the real thing. No, that 41-24, that's not a patsgasm. That's like, you know, a good night at the movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe a little kissy-kissy, but that ain't a patsgasm right there. Bobby, I'm on the same uh, same wavelength as you right here, my friend. Uh, I already said that I think the Patriots are going to put up over 24 points in the first half. Pedal to the metal time here. Uh, I think the Patriots outclass the bums. Uh, you know, as Mickey and Rocky would say, go out there, Rock, and outclass the bum. I, I think the Patriots throw up 45 points in this game. Uh, I do think the Dolphins can uh, score in the uh, low 20s. I'll give them I'll give them 23 points on the uh, on the night, uh, as the Patriots will get a 45 to 23 uh, victory there. And you know what? As I said, um, I'll talk about my offensive player and defensive player of the game first, and then you can you can go after the champ. So for offense. I already said it earlier, the thing, if he plays, if he plays, this is a game that Deion Lewis is going to explode in, rushing the ball and catching the ball out of the backfield. This is one of those things that they're really going to be able to do some things. I think against this ultra-aggressive um, front four that the uh, the Dolphins have with Cameron Wake and Endomic and Sue, that the Patriots are going to take a little bit of a time to get the screen game moving uh, with Deion Lewis, if again, if he's healthy, and allowing him to do some nice draws, this, that, and the other thing. I think he's going to catch the ball a lot of the backfield. On the defensive side of the, of the ball, we already talked about Dominic Easley and where he's come. They have really hit some home runs in the last couple drafts on the defensive side of the ball. Easley looks like he's going to be a home run. Malcolm Brown is still early, seven games in his career. Looks like it's going to be a home run, and we already know that there's home runs hit with Chandler Jones and uh, Donta Hightower. I look at uh, Dominic Easley, the way he's able to get off the ball. He's just getting off the ball so much quicker than everyone else. You talked about it earlier today, Bobby, with how the Dolphins will probably go into a three-wide receiver set, which means you're going to see a lighter front easily after, in, the, in the center there getting after the ball. I'm expecting three or four hurries by Dominic Easley. That's going to lead to some sacks for uh, Chandler Jones, Jamie Collins. But I think you're going to get a sack, three or four hurries, and probably four or five tackles uh, by Dominic Easley. That's my man in the middle. That's the man that's going to be the master plan, and he's going to get my defensive Jeff, player Yeah, I like the game. both those predictions. Easley's got a chance there to take advantage of a weak Dolphins interior offensive line, excluding Pouncey, of course. But their guard play is not anything special to be honest i'm gonna go with two redemption stories for my game balls Ooh, we're gonna start redemption. with the offensive side of the football where i love the Dion lewis pick i'm going with brandon jojo lafell to redeem himself Ooh, yeah. after all those drops on sunday against the jets we saw the route running that was effective he did a good job of getting open that to me is more sustainable then the drops. I know that he does have a history in Carolina, but that was catching passes from Cam Newton. Now he's catching them from Tom Brady, and he looked pretty damn good last season 
I think he's shaking the rust off, comes back in rhythm. And I know that Miami has 6-1-2-10 Zach Bowman, but I just don't think that he's going to be enough of a presence and doesn't have the skill level to cover Brandon LaFell, the big physical wide receiver who brings a new dynamic, a new wrinkle to this Patriots offense. I think he redeems himself quite nicely, and I'm even willing to go as far as to say catches a touchdown pass on Thursday against Miami. And offensively, I'm going with Chandler Jones. And people might not remember why this defensively. Yeah, defensively. Excuse me, <laughs> Boston Fat Guy, thank you. And uh, people might not remember why Chandler Jones going up against Miami is a redemption story. But the reality is that the last time that Chandler Jones went up against Brandon Albert, he got dominated. That had just as much to do with yeah. scheme, Patriots playing 3-4, and putting Jones in a five technique oh, as it did horrible. the matchup, where he was giving up about 50 pounds to Brandon Albert and just got manhandled as Albert helped pave the way to a rather large Miami victory on opening day. But I think this time it's a improved Chandler Jones. He's talked about how the game is slowing down for him. Even with the bye week, he leads the NFL in sacks. I think that he gets the better of Brandon Albert. I think he's going to get home and get get to Ryan Tannehill, at least one sack, a bunch of pressures. I think Chandler Jones is going to have a nice game on Thursday night. Yeah, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just remembering film review of that game and seeing uh, Vince Wilfork shaded to the right side of the center, and you, you have Chandler Jones at 265 pounds going up against a guard and a tackle, and he was getting run over. That was that was a terrible defensive game plan by Matt Patricia, and I think usually he does a pretty good job uh, for the Patriots, but I love that redemption, redemption story there. Bobby, getting to the end of the podcast here. I'd like to say thank you to our sponsors, SeatGeek, Harry's, and DraftKings. Of course, if you want to be a sponsor on uh, the Patriots Beat program, you can hit up Nick Gelso at info at clnsradio.com. I'm looking for a sponsor like a contact lens sponsor. I've been wearing the same pair of daily contact lenses for the last three or four days. I don't know how long you can wear those for. So if you're a contact lens su- supplier... You want to throw the Boston Fat Guy some contact lenses? I'd love that. I'm just going to ask you. You know, maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't. Of course, uh, you know, uh, a, a beer or, or chicken wing would also be good. I like, I like we, both We will folks. give you a lot of, lot of promotion, a lot of publicity on this show. If you're a beer or chicken wing proprietor, you'll Or some contact lenses. Shot. I need yeah, contact lenses. You can lens. wear contact lenses for... 14 days and be fine. That's what I do. For... Yeah, but I got oh, dailies, brother. Then why are you asking the question? You know the answer. They're dailies. No, you can't be wearing them four days. I know, and I've been wearing these dailies for the last five, right, we, four or five gotta days. Get, we got to get you I, I, I ran low. a I have contact, spo- contact lens sponsor here on the show. So that, I mean, we're taking care of your whole face, courtesy of this podcast. we got the Harry's razor blades taking care of the beard. Uh-huh. Contact lenses are next on the agenda for the Boston Fat Guy. And if I could just win big time on DraftKings, right, I could buy my contact lenses, go to SeatGeek and get some supreme, supreme seats for the next Patriots game. I'm feeling every bit of all right. But, hey, listen, join me tomorrow night. Not sure who my uh, co-host is going to be for the Patriots postgame show on CLNS Radio. But, of course, join me there after the game by going to www.blogtalkradio.com slash Patriots postgame. Of course, the Patriots postgame show is the number one place on the Internet that you can listen to myself and whoever the hell else I have on the podcast with me. We'll talk about the Patriots, hopefully getting another victory, and it's just always a good time. We always have a blast on the Patriots post-game show. And you can get involved, too, by calling 929-477-2386. That, of course, is toll-free. We'll be talking all about the Patriots, the Dolphins, and what we can expect. Hopefully the Patriots will be 7-0. and That comes to you after the New England Patriots game each and every week. For Bobby Kravitsky, I'm Jeff Kane. We'll see you guys on the flip side.
choice for Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.